good stuff. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be with our brothers and sisters. Yeah, we can give the Lord a hand clap for that. Hmm. At the end of this month, we'll baptize. And I always forget to tell us about baptism. But the last Sunday of every month, we have a baptismal service. And if you have not been water baptized, I want to encourage you to go to the waters of baptism. I just really do mean this. If you're saying, well, I don't know if I really ought to be baptized or if I should be baptized. Jesus was baptized. If anyone shouldn't have to be baptized, I think that would be Jesus. And uh, he said, I want to do this to fulfill the word of the Lord. And so I want to encourage you to go to the waters of baptism. Let me know if you have not been baptized, you want to be baptized the last Sunday of this month. Also, uh, we have uh, some prodigals that have returned. Jennifer and Chloe and Heidi and, and Aunt Patty. Hi there. Thank you for being here. All the way from Alabama, up north. They haven't even got an Alabama accent yet either. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? She's working on one. Chloe's working on one. Okay. <laughs> Good to see you guys. Amen. Uh, is Karen Russell here today? There, you're not supposed to be sitting over there. That totally threw me off. I was lo looking over there. I just want to say special thank you to Karen who has uh, worked on sound for years. She tried to retire once, but we brought her out of retirement, and I don't know how, probably went five more years after she tried to retire, but she has officially retired from sound and not retired from serving in the church, though, so she's going to be doing other things. And so, uh, Karen, thank you very much for all your years of service. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Calvin, for allowing her to come in early where you had to get up without biscuits and gravy and her fine cooking in the morning. So thank you. Amen. Okay. Well, we're going to go to the Word. I want us to pray. I, I like for us to receive the responsibility we have for the Word of God. The Lord says we're to be good hearers, and if we don't hear well, it affects us. So we want to hear well. So, Lord, we thank you for your Word. Uh, we, you've given us hearing ears. We believe we have that by the Holy Spirit. And we would ask that you would teach us today, Holy Spirit. Uh, the word says we need no man teach us, no person teach us. We know you gave teachers to the body of Christ. But ultimately, you have to teach us or it doesn't take root. And so we say, Holy Spirit, teach us this morning as we go to the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus said, John the Baptist baptized you with water, but said, in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I decided to steal that title for my message today, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I was just looking out here, too. I know, I know they weren't gone real long, but it's good to have you guys back from they were just suffering for Jesus all over the Greek islands and, and all those places. So, And it looks like they need to get a little sun, though, don't you think? I mean, they're you know, looking a little pale there. Well, welcome back. Glad you had safe journeys. Jesus told us we're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, so that's what we're going to talk about. Jesus is lying, baptized with the Holy Spirit. There was a guy named Andy Eddington, and Andy was a, a, a president of a college in, in, I think it was Dallas, Texas, and uh, he had a calling on his life that he wanted to minister to uh, prisoners on death row. And so he would go to, to prisons, and especially death row prisons, and minister to the prisoners. And he would take folks with him on occasion. One of his buddies, Pastor Tom, was along with him. And on their way back to Dallas, they stopped at a little Greasy Spoon, little Mom Paul restaurant. And, and, uh, and Andy loved sugar in his coffee. And so the... The waitress gives him some coffee, and it has a little sugar bowl there. I don't know if you've ever been in a little mom and pa with a sugar bowl instead of the packets. And so, so Andy took his, his uh, teaspoon, dug in one heaping, and put it in, dug in a second one, and put it in, dug in a third one, and put it in. And he looked up his waitress and said, we're going to need a little more sugar here. And uh, <laughs> she said, in her best Texas twang, honey. You stir up the sugar you got, and I'll think about bringing you some more. And I thought about that, and I thought, kind of reminds me of God. We need to stir up what we have. But the good news is God doesn't look at us sideways, like, I don't know if I want to give you more. He says, I'm, I'm happy when you say more. 
you know, God's all fine for us wanting more. Well, as we talk about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, I was raised in a church that never addressed this topic. I want to make that clear. Never. We never talked about it. And it's kind of interesting because Jesus is the one who coined the phrase, so I think we ought to at least talk about it and see what the Bible says about it. The good news was I was not indoctrinated for or against it, so I had to go to the scripture and see what happened. Because I would have some encounters with God as a young person that I'd think, what went on here? I got supernaturally healed by God uh, one night after a ball game, and I wasn't taught about the supernatural healing of God, but I was supernaturally healed by God, and I remember thinking, i got to figure out what's going on here. So I would start digging into Scripture, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the Scripture and see what the Bible says on, on these topics. And I really encourage you, always go to the Word of God. Now, you and I are prone to think, well, Grandpa believed this, or I read a book about that. Let's just go with the Bible. It's a really faithful book and see what the Bible says on these kind of topics. So the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a, a question that we kind of grapple with when we talk about the Holy Spirit, and that is, who has the Holy Spirit? I mean, do just Pentecostals and Charismatics have the Holy Spirit? By the way, if you say, I'm not sure what a Pentecostal and a Charismatic is, I'll give you a real loose definition here. Pentecostals typically believe that there is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The evidence that you received is that you would pray in tongues, and they believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And typically, not always, but Pentecostals typically have a belief system of, of certain clothing styles and, and no makeup uh, for the ladies or, or jewelry or whatever. Not all, but for the most part. And Charismatics tend to believe all that except um, no rules for dress code or, or makeup or jewelry or, or anything like that. So are they the only ones that have the Holy Spirit? And I want to say this too. Let's not be fearful about the topic. Let's just dig into it. because, And I think we're in a better place than we were 30 years ago where people were kind of, I don't know about this topic. But again, Jesus said it, so let's dig in and see what the Bible says about it. And it's, it's absolutely fascinating. It's absolutely intriguing. It's interesting. It's supernatural. I mean, it ought to pique our attention and say, what is Jesus talking about when he says, in a few days you will be filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. So who has the Holy Spirit? Let's see if we can figure that out. Ephesians 1.13, written by a guy named Paul, who wrote more books of the New Testament than anybody. You'll see him throughout the book of Acts, uh, dealing with this concept of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You'll see him teaching it in churches, and, and the, probably his most in-depth teaching is in, in Corinthians. And here in Ephesians, this guy writes this, Paul, In him, Jesus, you also trusted. So these people have trusted in Jesus. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, so they have believed, that's, that's the key word in the New Testament for a Christian. How we would call people Christians is believer, believer. And you have believed. You were sealed with the what? Holy Spirit of promise. In 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now does God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ, he anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his Holy Spirit, it's capital S, so it's Holy Spirit, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So biblically, when we become Christians, we have the Holy Spirit. So you say, well, if we got the Holy Spirit, then what's all this talk about this baptism with the Holy Spirit? I mean, you just said we have the Holy Spirit, so what's this all about? Well, some would say that no one in the Bible ever had the Holy Spirit until the day of Pentecost, and that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. After the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, then everyone at conversion, at becoming Christians, then would have the Holy Spirit. But there's a problem with that. The problem is, that's not biblically true. Now, that's a big problem. If you say no one had the Holy Spirit until the day of Pentecost, you have to look at the Bible. If you go to the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, you will see that after David sinned grievously, I think he had to break about every command the Lord ever gave in his sin with Bathsheba, he cries out to God, take not thy, does anybody remember? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And in the Old Testament, you will find that God would place his Holy Spirit on prophets, I mean true called prophets. He would place his Holy Spirit on, on true called priests. Some of the priests in the Old Testament were evil people, and so they weren't operating under the Holy Spirit. And he would place his Spirit on godly kings. And so the Holy Spirit would be on prophets and priests and kings, 
which is a whole beautiful another sermon, which I'm not going to preach today, but how in Christ we have this, this anointing, this prophet, priest, kingly anointing that resides in us as Christians. You didn't know you were so important, did you? But you have the anointing of the prophet, the priest, and the king in you because that's what God would place upon them. In Revelations it says that he has made us unto our God a kingdom of priests, or the King James says kings and priests unto our God. So there's a certain royal power and privilege that believers have and that we carry in humility, knowing that it 100% is from the Holy Spirit, not from us. Then we look at these disciples. On the day that Jesus was risen from the dead, the women saw Jesus and ran to tell the disciples, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the resurrected Lord. And you know how excited the disciples were? They looked at them and said, these women are crazy. I always am troubled that we always say doubting Thomas when they all doubted. Everybody said, they're crazy. I don't know what they saw, but it sure wasn't Jesus. But then... They're gathered in this upper room. You can read this in, in the entire chapter of John 20. They're in the upper room, and Jesus appears to them. The resurrected Jesus comes into a locked room. They're locked in the upper room, the Bible says, out of fear of the Jews. They're afraid of the trouble they will get in by the Jewish people, so they're hiding out of fear of the Jews. Jesus appears in their midst, shows them his nail-printed hands, his speared side, and the Bible says the disciples were overjoyed, and then Jesus said these words to them. He said to them in John 20, 21 and 22, Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I think they received the Holy Spirit. I don't see any passage there where Jesus said, wow, I thought that would work, but it must not have worked. No, they, he breathed on them. The imagery there is so beautiful, too, of Jesus exhaling and then inhaling and receiving the Holy Spirit in them. And by the way, it's not a doctrine that I teach that the Holy Spirit will appear to you and he will breathe on you and then you will inhale. But the imagery is there of an exhale and an inhale, which is the same in, in imagery of the word of God. The, the word of God is inspired or God breathed. It's like the pages of scripture exhaled into our lives. And as we read it and take it in, we, oh, we inhale the power of his word. And so here he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, these disciples who have received the Holy Spirit are told by Jesus. Remember from last week, Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The end game for the Holy Spirit is that we have power to be witnesses. Now, the power to be witnesses may show up by power to raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons, cure leprosy, do all kinds of things, because when you read the book of Acts, I can tell you this, when that lame man got healed at the gate beautiful the bible says a large crowd gathered they had seen this guy for years they had walked by him and ignored him for years and here he is jumping and leaping and praising god and they gathered around to see what had happened and peter and john did not give a teaching on healing what did they do they said why look at us as though we've done something it's not us it's this jesus and then they preach jesus and people get saved they, they'd receive power to witness. And so here they are locked in the upper room. They're fearful. They're afraid. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They kick open the doors. They preach the message. I love it. Peter preaches his, the very first Christian sermon in the Bibles in Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved. That's a pretty good preaching job there. 3,000 devout Jewish men gave their hearts to the Lord. They recognized Jesus as the answer they were looking for. Now, when we see this, there's some other verse. I want to talk about things that are confusing. I think a lot of things in the Bible are confusing. I'm very serious about this because you and I, talking me and you too, we have a tendency to go to Scripture like this. I know what I believe. 
and now I got to make the Bible prove it. And when we run into scriptures that are kind of against what we believe, we got to kind of twist them and move them and try to make them work for us because we're going first with the approach, I believe this, and now I want the scripture to support it. We all struggle with that. What we have to do is humbly come before the scriptures and say, hold it. Lord, if your word is contrary, different than what I believe, then I'm going to change my belief system. I can tell you that I jokingly, but then seriously say too, that the Bible has ruined more good sermons for me because I go, man, I'm going to preach this and this is good. And then I, I read the whole thing and I look it up and I go, that isn't saying what I thought it said. And so I ditch the sermon and I change my thought process to line up with the word. So if we remember last week, our Baptist brother, Dr. Jerry Vines, Dr. Jerry Vines, he was president of the Southern Baptist Convention for a couple of years. And uh, he said this, most people and most churches are stuck, remember that, between, between Calvary, the cross, and Pentecost. They've come to the cross for forgiveness of sins, but they haven't gone to Pentecost for the power. This is a good Baptist boy telling that. And he says this, it reminds me of Paul showing up in Ephesus, and he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? So we're going to look at that in Acts chapter 19, and we're going to see that it's not as confusing as we want to make it when we just take the Bible what it says. Acts 19, 1 through 7, while Apollos, he was a, a, one of the church leaders at the time, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. And you remember that if you... If you've been around church stories and read the scriptures for a little bit, if this is your very first time in church today and none of this you've ever heard, we welcome you here. Thank you for being here. Don't feel bad about that. All of us have been learning and on a journey of learning all of our lives. And it's not just in church things, but in anything we do, we're on a journey of learning. And so John is baptizing people because the baptism of repentance. So people are coming saying, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to change my ways. I know I want to be right with God. And so that's the first step. They're, they're being baptized. But then one day, Jesus shows up. And John stops and points and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I believe what he was saying. That this what I'm doing here. I know I was called to do it. But it's just saying, yeah, we're sinners who need a Savior. And there's the Savior. There's the one to believe upon. He's not just going to have you recognized that you're a sinner he's going to take away your sins and so and so Paul is telling the people John was pointing us to Jesus and it says on hearing this they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus then Paul placed his hands on them the Holy Spirit came on them now we don't have any problem with that it's the next part we have a problem with and they spoke in tongues and prophesied if we could just get rid of that, it would be a whole lot easier for people. But they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Now, again, I've studied this out, read it out, studied and read people who believe this, didn't believe this, whatever, because my goal was just to say, what's the Bible say about this? And so I discovered there are some who would say, "Here's you need to change the way you look at it. If the Pentecostal, the Charismatics look at this wrong. Here's what actually happened. Paul showed up and found some unbelievers. He told them about Jesus. They got saved, and they received the Holy Spirit, just like everyone receives the Holy Spirit when they get saved. That's all that passage is about. But I say, that's not fair to the passage. Because Paul shows up and says, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? Paul thinks he's encountered Christians. The word believe and believer is always connected to Christians. So Paul thinks he's talking to Christians. He discovers that they really aren't Christians. They've been baptized with John's baptism. And then he tells them about Jesus. And then they believe on Jesus. And then they are baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, can we all agree they're Christians now? 
actually, there are people who wouldn't agree quite yet, but most of us would say, yeah, we will say they're Christians. They've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been baptized. They are Christians. And then after that, he lays hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, something else is very important I want you to know. The book of Acts, you can sit down and read it in one sitting, so you think it just all unfolded in like 30 days. This event happening in Acts 19 is 25 years after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. 25 years later. So if we say, well, Pentecost was just a single event, the Holy Spirit was poured out, everyone who becomes Christians are baptized with the Holy Spirit, then what is John, I mean Paul, going to people 25 years later and saying, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And then when they go, we didn't know there was one. Well, you should know Jesus. They say, we want to know Jesus. We are baptized in Jesus' name. Then he lays hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. That's what the Bible says. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So we're just looking at little hurdles today from, from actually poor teaching. Here's another hurdle. This is an obstacle that exists because a combination of some real truth and some poor teaching. It's the idea that tongues mentioned in the Bible just means languages. Now I want to pause for a second and say that's all that word does mean. The word tongue just means languages. So, but then here's where the error comes in. We say, well, all Paul was saying, so get out of your head that tongues was some supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit that gave you a language that you didn't know what you were saying. Get that out of your head. Because all he was meaning was that he speaks different languages. And so when Paul said to the people, hey, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all, what he was saying was this, I thank God I'm not uneducated like you guys. I speak multiple languages. I'm multilingual. Was Paul multilingual? I'll guarantee it. I believe he spoke from just what I know from Scripture. He had to speak uh, Greek, uh, Latin, uh, Hebrew, probably spoke Aramaic and maybe some other languages, which is not uncommon in the little European countries as they cluster together, that people speak multiple languages around the countries that are around them. So Paul was multilingual. But now to say that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where people prayed and spoke in tongues was simply human learned languages is not being honest with the text. You say, well, how do you know that? From the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul, the very guy we're talking about, he writes this, 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They are uttering mysteries by the Spirit. Now, I ask this question. Can we be fair to the text? Can this be a learned language? It can't be. Because he's saying, I have a language that when I speak, nobody knows. And no one understands but God alone. And I'm speaking mysteries by the Spirit. And then he makes it personal in 1 Corinthians 14, 14. And says, for if I, Paul, pray in tongues, my spirit, that's a small s, so it means it's born again, human spirit. My spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. It can't be a learned language. It's impossible if we're going to be honest with the text. Now, I want to ask this question. Is there anybody here who speaks more than one language? Raise your hand up high. Don't be bored, and I will not embarrass you. Uh, okay. Tony, anybody else speak more than one language over there? Kristen? Kristen, what is, what is your, uh, what's the main language you were raised with? Danish. And so English is your second language. And so you had to listen to her talk. She talks better than anybody here in English. Uh, I've always been amazed when I found out that was her. So Danish is her first language. Uh, and English, her second language. And uh, did, you, did you have, you speak German? Your mom is a German. That explains your temperament. Uh, so uh, I'm just kidding. She is so sweet. I'm just kidding. I can't pass up a bad joke. Anybody else in here uh, speak a second language? Yes. Spanish, okay. Uh, why is it all girls who can speak to? Oh, no, Tony had one, too. What's your second language? Spanish. So Spanish. I speak two languages. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, I'm fluent in two languages. Um, of course, English is one. The second is Kentuckian. 
And um, I, uh, I, <laughs> it took me a few years, but I learned the language. I married a Kentuckian, so okay. Relax, everyone. Whew. Now, if I ask any of you who speak multiple languages, when you speak that other language, do you know what you're saying? Your answer is, of course I do. Of course I do. When I'm speaking it, I know what I'm saying. So it's illogical to say these are only learned languages because when you learn a language and you speak it, you know what you're saying. Here Paul says, I'm speaking in some kind of language that I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm praying through my spirit, but my understanding is unfruitful, the King James says, or I don't know what I'm saying. So we have to be honest with the text. Now here's the trouble. You may think, I don't like being honest with the text because then it makes me grapple with more stuff. Well, join the club because that's been my whole life, grappling with stuff, looking, well, what does the Bible say about it? And looking at what the Bible says. So, was Paul multilingual? Yes. Did he speak in, in what the King James inserted the word unknown tongues, which actually gives clarity? Yes. And at one point in the love chapter, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, there's languages around, uh, but have not love, I'm nothing. So what are some other non-biblical thoughts on Jesus saying, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Over the years, if I sought this out and studied and talked to people from all different perspectives, I've had people tell me these things. Well, the Corinthians were a mess. So, I mean, just read First and Second Corinthians. The Corinthians were a mess. And so then they credit their mess to the baptism with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, which... The Bible never says, you're a mess because of this. In fact, uh, Paul actually is teaching them how to move in the gifts of the Spirit in a way that is good and right. They were a mess because, like most of us, we come to Jesus out of whatever world we were in. And Corinth was a very avant-garde, worldly, carnal, fleshly, you know, culture like all cultures without Jesus. And so they came to Jesus and they're a mess. And so they're growing. And so today you may be here and say, I feel like I'm a mess. That's okay. We're growing. We're growing. We keep growing. And so the word of God begins to, to train us and equip us and, and tell stop this, start this, do this. And so we start humbly submitting to it. And then our lives begin to be transformed. So they were being transformed. One of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible on love is found in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, but none of us would say, oh, it's that love thing that's messing up the Corinthians, let's throw it out. No, we would say love's a good thing. There's topics like, well, you know, gosh, Tracy, this is, this is controversial, and people look at it differently, so I, I just think it'd be better if we just ignored it and we didn't talk about it, which is the stance of probably a high percentage of churches just to ignore it because it can be controversial. But I say, what if it is controversial? I think we need to grow up and learn how to have controversial conversations. And even if we get to the end and we see things differently, it's okay. L let me tell you, there's a couple famous pastors. One passed away this past year, Jack Hayford. Jack Hayford is a, uh, was, he's went on to be a, a pastor of a four-square church, which is a Pentecostal denomination. He writes books on the beauty of spiritual language, praying in the spirit. He had a very dear friend whose name is John MacArthur Jr. John MacArthur Jr. writes books that are anti-charismatic and Pentecostal. And they had a friendship. And I was in a meeting with about 30 people, and Jack Hayford was talking about this. And he said, he said I mean, we're true friends, not just casual acquaintances. We, we do lunch or breakfast at least once a month together and enjoy our fellowship. And Jack Hayford was a very brilliant, intellectually brilliant man, and John MacArthur Jr. is a very intellectually brilliant man. So they had a respect for one another. And uh, Jack said that John would tell him sometimes, he said, man, Jack, I don't know if you've been listening to my broadcast this week, but it would be an anti-charismatic Pentecostal broadcast. And uh, Jack would say, yeah, I've, I've caught a few of them. And he would, he would look at him and say, Jack, when I talk about those charismatics and Pentecostals, I'm not talking about you. And I always thought that was funny. It's like, I love you, so you're okay with those other people. And, uh, and of course, he was even uh, head of the four-square uh, denomination for a long time. So, you know what? I, I would get flyers every now and then for different conferences around, and, and I got one one time that Jack Hayford was having a conference at his church. And guess who one of the keynote speakers was? John MacArthur, Jr. I thought, thank you. There's hope that we can love one another and not even agree on every topic, we can love one another. So, 
It may be controversial, but I think we should dig into it and come up with our decision. There's another thing that I always think about. Did you know water baptism is controversial? You know, there's lots of different opinions and beliefs on water baptism. Some people believe water baptism is insignificant, and who cares? They've studied it out, and that's their conclusion. It doesn't matter. Other people say water baptism is so significant that if you're not water baptized, you won't go to heaven. In fact, uh, two different groups believe that there's even a certain thing that has to be spoken over you. And by the way, water baptism can be sprinkling in some churches, can be pouring in others, can be full immersion, which is what we do all the way under. And when you are baptized, these words have to be spoken over you. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or it wasn't a good baptism. Or, no, this has to be spoken over you. I baptize you in the name of Jesus, or it's not a good baptism. Some people believe you have to be baptized in running water. I had a gal who was getting ready to be baptized one time years ago, and she said, I'm just uncomfortable getting baptized in a baptismal tank. And I said, why is that? And she said, I think it has to be in a stream where there's running water because that washes your sins away. Now, she had been taught that. I hope you know that Jesus washes our sins away, not, not, not the dirty creek we're getting baptized in. Uh, it's, it's Jesus. And so I just got a goofy personality, so I said, you know what? I said, when you're done being baptized here, we're going we're gonna to hit the plunger on that thing, and it's all going to wash right away. And she looked at me and said, okay. I thought, I just been silly, but I thought, okay. It, it helped her know it was all going to go down the drain somewhere. Okay. Do you know this, that there are some, there's, uh, I read about this good German group that the proper way to be baptized is, is three times forward. You know, you got to be dunked three times forward for it to be a legitimate baptism. I don't know why. I never could figure out why it was three times forward. So there's all kinds of controversy. But people end up studying, looking at it, reading the Bible, doing this and that, and determining, wow, here's what we believe about water baptism, and I think we should do the same, same thing with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand some people say, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit have passed away. And they were taught that, and they, they were taught that. And here's the scripture that is used to teach that. It's found in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. Verse 8, love never fails. And whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, means our knowledge is partial, and we prophesy in part our Prophecies are not flawless. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. And the teaching is there we have the Bible. So now that we have the Bible, you know, prophecies, tongues, knowledge, all that. We don't need that anymore because we have this. But if you press the point and say, okay, so we don't need prophecy anymore, so we can ditch the prophecies in the book of Revelation, oh, no, now we need those. So we're going to get rid of tongues. But yeah, we'll get rid of those. And so we're going to get rid of all knowledge. Well, no, we need knowledge. So it's real confusing about what leaves and what stays. But it's the word they say. But let's read on. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly or through a glass darkly. In other words, what we're looking at and beholding, we don't quite get it completely. But look at what it says here. We now see through a mirror dimly, but then one day we will see face to face. Hmm. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as also I am known. The topic's not on the Bible. You say, well, Tracy doesn't believe in the Bible. Yeah, I do. I love it. This is, this is a precious gift from God. I believe it's inspired, sincere, and the real deal. I'm just saying that's not what this passage is talking about. And if we're fair to the text, it's talking about seeing Jesus. It's talking about seeing him. One day I will draw my last human earthly breath and see Jesus face to face. Or he will come again, I will see him face to face. And when that happens, when I get absorbed in the life of God, I love how Corinthians says that we don't even die. It says our mortal life gets swallowed up by the life of God. When I get swallowed up by the life of God, I will know all things as I am fully known. I, I won't have to have partial knowledge. I won't have to have incomplete prophecies. I won't have to have a 
a tongue or an interpretation of tongues or the gifts of the Spirit. I won't have to have any of that. I'm face-to-face with Jesus. And that's what the Scripture's talking about. These are things I think hinder us understanding. Now, I do want to say this. It would make more sense to me to say, I believe it was real. I believe every way it's described in Scripture is correct. And I believe there is one day where it diminished and then disappeared. You you won't find that in the Bible, but that makes more sense to me than the other stuff. Like, well, Paul wasn't talking about tongues and no one understood. He was just multilingual. I think that's a silly answer. I think most of the answers are silly. The only thing that would make a little bit of sense to me is saying that it passed away. The problem I have with that is I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says it passed away. And this stuff that's supposed to pass away, Paul's still ministering in it 25 years later. But then they say, well, that was the great apostle Paul. And we only had those 12 apostles. But I encourage you to read through the book of Acts, and you'll find, wow, there's all kinds of apostles. Do you know there's all kinds of apostles in the book of Acts? There's prophets in the book of Acts? There's things in the book of Acts going on that we want to just close our eyes to. Now, we may want to close our eyes to it because we've had bad experiences with it. You know there's people not in church today because somebody, and this is not about the Holy Spirit, somebody just, you know, badgered them nonstop about how mad God was at them and how God hated them and how they better get their act right with God. And they got such a complex that God hates me so much and so mad at me. It was more less painful to stay away from church. I don't want people to quit preaching about hell or quit proclaiming the gospel. I just like for us to do it correctly and, and line it up with the word of God and do it with passion and compassion. It was said of um, uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, said this of um, uh, George Whitfield, the great revivalist in the early forming of our nation. He said, I like George Whitfield because when he preaches hell, he preaches it with a tear in his eye. I said, that's how we preach hell, with a tear in our eye. Not like God's going to get you, but you need to escape this. So these are things that can hinder us, and I want to encourage us to just go, what's the word of God say? And if you heard stuff today where you say, I never even heard any of that before, uh, then check it out, dig it out. You know, what, you know what Paul said? The Bereans were more noble than the other churches I preached at because when I would preach something that was new to them, they'd go, well, I don't know about that. And so then they would grab the scriptures and they would dig into it to see if the things that Paul said was true. And so I encourage you to dig into the scriptures. I also want to challenge you, if you've got any questions, you can contact me. It's interesting because I mention this a few times a year. I don't think anyone ever contacts me, which either, it tells me one of a couple things. One, I'm just so incredible that I've done such a flawless job. Or two, you slept through the whole thing and you're like, I what? What did you talk about last week? But, but I think we've got a slide for that. Let people know what the email address is. You can email me. And uh, I've had some trouble with emails getting through. So if you don't hear back from me within, you know, four years, um, now within 48 hours, uh, you know, let me know because either my email didn't get through to you or yours didn't get through to me. So we're going to talk about an action item here in a second before we go to communion. But I want to quote this great reform preacher. Martin Lloyd-Jones held down the prestigious pulpit of Westminster Chapel in London, England, and he was a Reformed preacher. And towards the end of his ministry in life, which was actually, by all standards, his peak of his ministry, he got before his congregation and said, I'm going to butcher the quote, but you'll get the idea. He said, I want to ask you a question. Have you been baptized of the Holy Spirit? And he said, or I don't care what you call it, which I don't care. We say baptized with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. He said, I don't care what you call it, but have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? And they said, I know you're all from Reformed theology like me, and you're saying to yourself, I got all the Holy Spirit at conversion when I gave my life to Jesus. And he said, then I have another question to ask you. If you got all that there was of God and the Holy Spirit at your conversion, He said, where in God's name is it? And I thought, okay, well, that's a challenge. Where is it? We need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's our action item. Ask Jesus to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You say, I'm afraid if I ask, he might do it. Uh, Well, that's possible. (laughs) It's possible. 
uh, ask the Holy Spirit to baptize, or ask Jesus to baptize you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm telling you what the end game. It's not for, I mean, not that we don't want to pray and minister in power. That is part of it. But ultimately, it's that we have a witness that points people to Jesus. Everybody's got a lot of talk about what their religion is all about. But Paul at one point said, I came to you not with fancy words and persuasive language. I came to you in a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And when we come in the demonstration of the Spirit's power, people go, oh my goodness, this is a little different than the other religions that are out there. And then we tell them about Jesus. Why look at me as though some strange thing has happened unto you? It is this Jesus. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus is the one who redeems and saves and sets the captives free. We keep pointing people to Jesus. And our beautiful, amazing, incredible Jesus gave his life for us. And our incredible, amazing Jesus was so full of life and had no sin that death could not hold him. Do you know what produces death? Sin. Sin produces death. Jesus had no sin. Death had no authority over him. Death could not hold him. It tried its best, but it could not hold him. And so we're going to come to this table in a moment, and I want you to believe for healing for your body, your soul, your spirit, your mind, your emotions, your relationships. You can believe God, trust him for healing. Your body, you can trust God for healing in your body because the scriptures say that by the stripes of Jesus, the wounds of Jesus, we were healed. And we're going to partake of his broken body, the bread. Then we're going to receive this juice, the blood of Jesus. The scripture says that where there is no shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We're receiving that. And it's not the wafer, the juice that saves us it, it, or heals us. It's just who it represents and what it represents. So some guidelines for our communion time. If this is your first time here, we invite you to receive communion. We believe this is the Lord's table, not our table, so we invite you to, to receive communion with us. Also, as I said, you can trust God for healing or salvation. I just think, and I've said it a thousand times, probably one of the coolest ways, I think, to give your heart to Jesus. If you're here today and don't know Jesus, is receive communion. Just say, Lord Jesus, save me. As I receive your broken body, as I take in your shed blood, save me, heal me. I give my life to you. If you have children with you, that's up to you parents, what, how you want them to participate. We have no problem with them participating at all. And the other thing I've run into over the years, not so much anymore, but people say, I don't want to take communion because I don't feel worthy. Well, I'm sorry you don't feel worthy, and I, I want you to get past that, but, but I do want you to know this. The Bible doesn't say, don't take it if you don't feel worthy. It actually says this, that we should not receive communion in an unworthy or disrespectful manner. And so I would highly doubt anybody would do that today. So we're going to take the bread in a moment, the body of Christ, and I want us to hold it all together, and then we'll eat together. And same way with the juice, as we receive the juice, the blood of Jesus, we will hold that, and we will drink together. So those who are going to serve, would you come on forward? Uh, to most of us here, it may not be a big deal, but uh, it's an act of love that our communion bread is handmade, gluten-free. I used to think you had to eat a whole lot of gluten for it to bother you, but apparently not. Those of you who struggle with gluten, even a small little bit can, can be uh, damaging to you. And so this, this uh, bread is made by Martha Burris uh, with love. And, but even more important than that, it represents the body of Christ. So, Father, we thank you for, for this. You did not spare your own son. And, Jesus, you willingly and lovingly gave your life for us. And we're just asking Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Lord, we're going to stir up what we have, but we're asking today, give us more. More of you, Holy Spirit. More of your power. More, more of a, a courage and ability to share the love of Jesus with people. Lord, more of you to pray for the sick and see them well. To pray for the broken and see them whole. And so we, we're going to receive this broken body and shed blood for health for ourselves and eternal life. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you all pass out the bread of the body of Christ? Hold that, and we will eat together.
Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Let's eat remembering the Lord Jesus. you receive the juice, the blood of Christ, hold that and we will drink together. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and he blessed it. He said, this is the cup of a new covenant, a new agreement in my blood. And he told us to drink and remember him. Let's drink remembering the Lord Jesus. As we've received that bread, representing your broken body, we declare, by your stripes, we are healed. Lord, as we receive this juice, representing your shed blood, we say, through the blood of Jesus, we have salvation and forgiveness of sins. And we just receive that, and we say thank you for that. And Lord, may you do fresh things in our hearts this week. May you, Holy Spirit, be very near and dear to us this week. We thank you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, those who have served. If you gave your life to Jesus today while taking communion, on your way out, there's a couple tables out there. and Just go out and tell them, hey, I gave my life to Jesus today. And we have a new believer's Bible that we think will really help you grow in your walk with God. Also, if you're here for the very first time, you're saying, I was here for the first time for that message, baptism with the Holy Spirit. Yes, you were here for that. On your way out the door, just say, hey, this is my first time here, and we have a gift that we want to give you, and we say thank you so much for being with us. And so just to keep the ball rolling on topics, you know, that are interesting and exciting, but maybe we haven't taught on a lot in the church, next week we're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible says, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant or unlearned. And so that should catch our attention. We're going to talk about that. Then the following week, for those who don't know this, if you have been in a cave, it is Pride Month in 
the United States of America, maybe globally, I'm not sure, the LGBTQ community plus community, we're going to talk, what does the Word of God say about that? What does the Word of God say? That's not next week, but the week after. And we will lovingly open up the scriptures. And if you're here today and you say, but I'm part of the LGBTQ plus community, I want to say this. We love you. We love you. Yeah, welcome. We're glad you're here. We love you. And we're going to look at what the Word of God says on that topic as well. Okay, so let's stand to our feet. We have a wonderful promise to confess over ourselves. So is everybody ready? Enthusiastically? Let's do it. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. Go in the blessing of the Lord. <laughs> 